Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of For Real is brought to you by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new nonfiction books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukura. We're recording on Friday, September 18th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Oh, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like getting on by. Uh, how, how are you doing? I'm great. I am officially on PTO from my day job. Uh, I spent a lot of today, like, doing work around the house and stuff. So like the vacation part of vacation doesn't really start until tomorrow, but I'm happy to not be at work for a little while. Gotcha. People who have, uh, who just heard the date being stated mm-hmm. for when we are recording this episode might uh, find it a little jarring. Usually we do it, I think like five days before. Yeah, it? the Thursday or Friday before. Yeah. And this time, uh, oh, week and a half. It is because I am getting married People who regularly listen might have heard of that about this for some time now. I've got engaged last <laughs> November. And yeah, I'm getting married on uh, September 25th. And so I will be gone when we would normally be recording. I told Kim I am unavailable on those days due to major life events. No, I would really like you to record a podcast on your wedding day like let's, <laughs> or the day before you're, when you're supposed to be at your like rehearsal dinner or something. I'm like, no, Alice, we have to record. It's so we have unacceptable. to. Unacceptable. <laughs> you're like, No. We, this I love is that. of paramount importance. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a lot, you know, going on, but we're we're glad that we were able to still make it work and talk about some great nonfiction. Yeah. Do you have a lot of things that you need to get done before your wedding next week? So my fiance, Michelle, who I get to call that for another week. She is a, an event planner and has basically done everything. I'm doing what she tells me to do. And I told her, I was like, it's not that I don't necessarily want to. It is that I have no skills in that area and it scares me. Whereas to her, she's like, well, this is normal. Like, you know, <laughs> this is just my daily life. So I'm very impressed by her skills there. I think that we're all set in terms of like, like I have my dress. 
I have shoes. I think those are the main elements, right? That's pretty much it. You just need to like get there. Yeah, we have a place where we're getting married. And then I I think there are like a billion other details, but I think those are the main parts. There is a lady who wants to marry me. There we go. That's the final. (laughs) That's the final piece right there. It would be awkward if you were going to show up there with a dress and shoes at a venue, but there was no lady there to marry you. That would be terrifying. (laughs) If someone was like, well, I'm all set. (laughs) It's like, well. Oh, dear. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's talk real quick about our first sponsor for the episode. It is the Mason House, available now from Lanternfish Press. Uh, The Mason House is by T. Marie Bertineau. What is this about? During a childhood marked with instability, T. Marie Bertineau always found refuge in her grandmother's house in Mason, Michigan, until her grandmother's loss put her once again at the mercy of her Ojibwe mother's lasting and sometimes destructive grief. Uh, The Mason House follows the family's wanderings from the Upper Peninsula to Oklahoma until they return to the place of their roots, reconnecting with the community that can finally help them begin to heal. So this is a, as you might have guessed, family memoir. It's about cycles of grief, enduring love, compassion for loved ones in pain, and Really, it, it is sort of, you know, a little bit itinerant in the, you know, sort of like moving from place to place. But the center of the book is her grandmother's house in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, otherwise known as the UP, for those in the Midwestern know. And most importantly, it, it explores the importance of connection and community, uh, including the family's reconnection with their Ojibwe roots and culture. So again, that is The Mason House by T. Marie Bertineau. Available now from Lanternfish Press. And thank you for sponsoring. Oh, that sounds excellent. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. So, uh, our first segment every week is usually nonfiction in the news. So, news about upcoming nonfiction or related to the world of nonfiction. And I have one that I am so jazzed about, I cannot even tell you. Uh, my sister, when this came out, like sent it to me and was like, Are you dying? And I was like, Yes, I'm, I'm very, I'm very jazzed. So, the story <laughs> is that Barack Obama's the first of his presidential memoirs. It has a publishing date. It is coming out in November, uh, November 17th to be exact. So this is the first of two volumes of his presidential memoir. Uh, It encompasses parts of his early political life, his campaign in 2008, and then goes through the death of Osama bin Laden in 2011. So it doesn't even get into his second term. Uh, It is 768 pages, which I... I know. And I I was telling Jenny, I I can't decide if I'm like my love for Obama administration memoirs and like the nostalgia I feel reading them outweighs the hatred I have for books that are longer than they need to be. And 768 pages is so long. So I don't know. I'm I'm jazzed and I pre-ordered it. The cost is for the pre-order at the independent bookstore I bought it at is $45, which is ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Jenny pointed out it would be better if it was $44 since he was the 44th (laughs) president. Uh, So I feel like that was a missed opportunity, but it's fine. Yeah. So Barack Obama's memoir, November 17th, that is pretty much what I'll be doing for a time after that date, I believe. Yeah. I like immediately when I saw that messaged Kim and was like, (laughs) wow, this is like the capstone. I know. In your... Readings of Obama administration memoirs. I know. It's like the pinnacle. Oh, I didn't say the title. The title is A Promised Land. So we'll see. Uh, in November, I'm going to be a real, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm excited, but also 
intimidated by the length. So, I mean, you I bet you'll get through it. But are you saying you're just going to be like unavailable in late November then? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be like, "Can we have to record the podcast?" And I'll be like, I'm "No. Sorry. I cannot. I am busy." <laughs> Jenny was like, you should take the day off work and just read the book. And I was like, that is a legitimately tempting thing to do. But we'll see. That feels like too much. I took the day off work when the second season of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina came out. That's amazing. So I'm just saying that there is a precedent <laughs> even on this very podcast. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, so that's some news. It was big news this week. I think the article said the print, the initial print run is like 3 million copies, which is huge. It's going to be a big book. Well, there we are. All right. So that is our nonfiction news this week. Uh, we will shift gears into new nonfiction, which is books that are out recently, coming out soon, that we are excited about in some way. So you are up first, Alice. I am. Okay. So I really like sometimes anthologies. And with that in mind, uh, my first pick is The Writer's Library, The Authors You Love on the Books That Changed Their Lives. I just, like, especially having writers talk about books, like, when I read Well-Read Black Girl and had, like, you, like there she interviewed all of these awesome authors about, like, books by Black authors that changed their lives. That was fantastic. So this, again, like, kind of in a similar vein, having people where, like, their life is the written word and being like, this had a huge impact on me. I'm just, oh, very interested. So uh, this is uh, particularly 23 living, let's say, literary legends um, from like today, uh, including Donna Tart uh, from The Goldfinch, Vietan Nagoyan, Andrew Sean Greer, Leila Lalami. They are all just like talking about books that made them think and just provided a lot of joy to their lives and just and changed their lives, which I feel like even... When you read about someone else's experience with a book like that, it just makes you think about books that did that for you. And you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. my instant thought, honestly, which I guess it I, I wanted to say it was embarrassing, but I don't think it is, <laughs> was like Calvin and Hobbes, because I read that a lot when I was in like third grade. And there are so many thoughts in there that influenced my opinions <laughs> for a very long time. Like when Calvin is like going off about how companies that have their logo on a shirt should pay him to like advertise. <laughs> and I had some very Gen X-y brothers, so I was already primed for this kind of idea. And I was like, yeah, that. But yeah, so just it's I mean, it's edited by America's librarian, Nancy Pearl, who if you've seen has her own action figure. And this playwright, Jeff Schweiger, and it just celebrates the power of literature. And I just, obviously, this is a book podcast. I'm going to be on board. That's why you also have, um, have we talked about this? How a lot of bookstores have fiction, they'll like buy fiction that's like the bookseller's mm -hmm. left hand or oh, something. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so of course, on this type of podcast, I'm especially going to want to talk about this. But that being said, it's got a lot of like really pretty line drawings and a, so, and then like, Pairs those with, again, like these essays just like talking about books. So you have illustrations, books, discussions of libraries, bookstores, and just it's just all about how great books are. So if you are in the mood for that kind of thing and maybe want like a breather kind of a book, I would call this that kind of thing. 
It is, again, the writer's library, the authors you love on the books that changed their lives. I really like that pick, especially for this time of year. I think when we've done episodes on cozy nonfiction, a lot of times we include books about books because there's something so like nice and comforting about picking up books like that. So that seems excellent. Yeah. Yeah, great pick. All right. So my first pick is a little book uh, called Clutter and Untidy History by Jennifer Howard uh, came out earlier in September, September 1st from Belt Publishing. And this is a book all about our relationship to the things that we own. So for Jennifer Howard, kind of the, the nexus or the idea, the impetus for the book came after she starts the process of clearing out her mother's home. Um, her mother is diagnosed with dementia and has to move out of the home that she's lived in for many years and also is a person who has some kind of disorder related to clutter and collecting things. And so Jennifer Howard comes into her mother's home and it's just a disaster. There's just stuff and uh, in a really unhealthy way. And so that experience, the two years that it took her to really like clear out that space is part of what kind of inspired her to investigate this more. And so she writes about how American culture, quote, creates a craving for things we don't need, often to distract ourselves from what's really missing, love, connection, meaningful work, a sense of something beyond the self, a care for the natural world that goes beyond exploiting it to make more stuff to buy and sell. So the early part of the book talks about like what are some of the mental health issues that might be related to collecting of things. Um, she has a really interesting section about why we shouldn't be using the word hoarder and like kind of the associations that we have with that and how it needs to be kind of a, a different connotation and way to help people who are suffering in this way. And so she then goes on to look at like a history of how we st of like consumer culture and, and things. So looks at stuff like the Industrial Revolution and this year's robot catalog, going to the container store and all these different ways that stuff has become such a big deal. Also looks at implications for the environment. And then there's one chapter early that is all about how emergency responders are affected by people's stuff and how difficult it can be for like firefighters and medical professionals to get into some homes to try and help people and how they have started to develop specific ways to try and deal with that to ensure safety for like firefighters and stuff. So it was really interesting. So talks a little bit about Marie Kondo, obviously, also Amazon and how that has contributed to like our collection of things. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I really, I really like the way that she uses her experience with her mother and kind of threads that throughout the book um, and brings herself into this exploration and story. But I know some people don't really like that. So your mileage may vary. Um, but I think it's really interesting all of the different threads she's pulling together. And this one just was particularly resonant for me because during this whole like COVID quarantine and everything, my sister and I have done a lot of decluttering in our house. And just today, we spent a lot of time getting things out of our house and taking them to Goodwill and our recycling center and all of that. And it just made me think a lot about like why why I had all of those things in the first place and and how how to be more conscious about some of that going forward. So uh, I thought this one was fascinating. I think it's an interesting addition to kind of the general conversations we're all having about stuff right now related to like Marie Kondo and all of that. So that is Clutter and Untidy History by Jennifer Howard. That sounds really good. Yeah, I'm going to add that to my list. I feel like people's relationship to things and how I would say like how that's impacted by their parents is especially mm -hmm. interesting. And you see it enacted in different ways in my family in particular. Like my mom was, I would say like a low level hoarder. Like we didn't have stacks of old newspapers, but mm -hmm. she did have like an, a vintage apron collection that was like, it was like, why? <laughs> we don't, we don't <laughs> need this. Is it a collection or is it a bunch of aprons in like a Tupperware? 
Anyway, so in adulthood, I've noticed that I definitely cling more to stuff. And one of my brothers is like incredibly anti-stuff, like wants clean surfaces everywhere. And I was like, oh, we're just <laughs> we're responding differently to our like yeah. childhood home. So yeah, no, especially um, you were talking about this, like going into how like the history of how we started like having all these things and all this like mm-hmm. that's. Because, yeah, it didn't used to be the case. People would, well, especially if we go all the way back to, like, Regency England, you had, what, like, three dresses? And then you would, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would just sort of, like, cycle between them. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's just nuts. And we have such a disposable culture. Mm-hmm. Kim, I'm so interested in this book. <laughs> okay. I will pivot to a book that we actually were both reading. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested if you want to, like, chime in on this. I, I'm, re- I'm in the middle of it. I'm really liking it. I think it's great. It is uh, Carrie. That's C-A-R-R-Y. A Memoir of Survival on Stolen Land by Tony Jensen out September 8th from Ballantine Books. Uh, this is Tony Jensen. She's a professor in Arkansas. I think she's still in Arkansas. And she starts off the book going around, I think she's in North Dakota, and just sort of I think it starts off talking about like basically she's trying to do that project where you take photos of hotel rooms in and post them to be able to um, track down victims of sex trafficking. And then she goes from there. She goes back to like her childhood where she grew up with a Metis, uh, M-E-T-I-S father. And uh, that's like mixed race in terms of American Indian or I guess indigenous because I think she talked about being in Canada too. But she basically keeps switching back between like her adult life now, her childhood, growing up with her father abused alcohol, her relationship with her sister who uh, was dealing with some illness and talking about that and then her work now as a native person or as MIT and as like talking about Standing Rock and all this stuff. And I feel like I'm making a mess of it. (laughs) I know. But like, I think it's because it's not quite disjointed but she does hop around a lot Mm -hmm. and how would you like encapsulate all of it because i think it's so good yeah i think the thread for me is about it's about violence right it's about violence in lots of different ways and so like violence within families and violence within our history and treatment of native people violence in our political rhetoric violence in schools and violence in like our collective conversations and so i think she's kind of connecting violence in all these different ways and how it affects women and how it affects families and how it affects Native people and that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. It does kind of jump around in a lot of ways. So it can be a little hard to kind of, I think it's like the collection of it is more of where you get it than in like any clear thread between ideas. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way of encapsulating it. And I like how she, because she is a very good writer, and how she does mm-hmm. that thing at the beginning of being like, Merriam-Webster defines, you know, blank as da-da-da. And she carries that through because, you know, that's a, now such a cliche of, like, bad writing. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of keeps evolving the context in which she uses this definition. And there's, you know, this theme of, like, birds going through it. And again, I'm, like, I am... In this podcast, the one focused on granularity, and Kim is so good at (laughs) pulling out (laughs) themes and talking about running stuff. And I just really am finding myself like struck by this book and uh, what she has to say in it. So I I obviously I would recommend it. Um, It is again Carrie, a memoir of survival on stolen land by Tony Jensen. Yeah, it's really great. Definitely, 
All right, so my next pick is uh, called Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, The Human Story Changes by Elizabeth Lesser, which is out September 15th from Harper Wave. Uh, It has a beautiful cover, by the way. It is like neon pink and has like these flowers and stuff on it. It's super cool. And so this is a book that tries to explore and argue what might have happened if women's voices had been heard or even centered throughout our history. So she looks at how our myths and heroes and stories that guide us may have been different had they centered or even included women's voices. And then she looks at how those stories become our culture and that culture becomes sort of the soup in which we all live and in which our personalities are sort of developed. And so then how important it is for us to bring women's voices into stories basically is the the big argument. Um, So she starts with like back at the beginning, Adam and Eve and Cassandra and Pandora's box and tries to look at those stories and how they might be different if we centered the woman's voices within them. So in the first chapter, she makes an argument that Eve, if we had centered Eve's voice in her story, her story is not one of falling to temptation and like bringing about like pulling men out of the garden, humans out of the garden of Eden. It's about, it's a hero's journey for her of asking questions and exploring and taking a chance and then leaving this childlike place and growing up and entering the world. And that, it just like blew my brain a little bit because I've never really thought about that story in a different way, in a deep way. And I, I it's fascinating to think how, how, how we might think about women differently if we weren't thinking of them as like these evil tempstresses and instead thinking of them as heroes who wanted to go on a journey to learn more about themselves and the world around them. So uh, the book is divided into a few sections. There's one on history and how it's connected to stories and then to values. There's one about particularly about stories of women and power and what we can learn from those. And then there's a final section that talks about personal tools that we can all adopt to become both strong-willed and kind-hearted. So Elizabeth Lesser is a spiritual writer. She's also a feminist thinker. And so she brings those kind of two ideas to this argument about stories and culture and history and values. And I just think this one is fascinating. I It's kind of making my brain think about stories that I've heard over and over again in these totally different ways. And I really like that about it. So that is Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, The Human Story Changes by Elizabeth Lesser. Yeah, I really like her reframing of, again, being like, what if this, like these famous stories, these myths that we have were told from the perspective of women, Mm -hmm. which we just, it's not the way that our culture has worked. And just being like, how would the culture change? It's a lot of interesting questions. It's, I think it's, I think you're right. It's a really good book. And you're right about the cover being Mm -hmm. A plus. A plus cover. It's kind of one of those, like, you see the cover and you're like, oh, maybe I'll pick that book up just based on this, which I always appreciate those. My other pick is A Knock at Midnight, A Story of Hope, Justice, and Freedom by Brittany K. Barnett. Uh, Brittany K. Barnett was uh, a law student. She came across this case that, um, so she she was like mid-20s. She found this case of this woman who was a single mother, a business owner, and uh, a black woman from rural South, which was also Brittany K. Barnett's background. Uh, essentially, she was a victim of America's devastating war on drugs. She was separated from her daughter, uh, serving a life sentence without parole. And this was a first time drug offense. And she was like, Brittany watches a YouTube video and she said, Sharonda Jones says that she gets to see her daughter like once a month. And this is like a baby, right? And then you just, oh, I, I can't. Anyway, so because Brittany sees her own life reflected in Sharonda Jones's life, she basically decides like, I'm going to, you know, study this case. And then she starts to see 
the criminal justice system through this case where widespread racial injustice, right, is just basically at the core of how much the United States seems into the idea of, of prisons and incarcerating people. And, you know, the the number of people in prison over the last uh, few decades has just gone up so exponentially. And she's just sort of like pinpointing that and then being like, you know what, I'm going to at least try to work for this person's freedom. And so she she started working to get Sharonda Jones out of prison. And this is when she was basically initially going to go into corporate law. So just like, you know, imagine pivoting your life that much based again on she was watching a YouTube video. I just think moments like that are amazing. Mm -hmm. So she is like doing her corporate law job and then also working pro bono at night to, you know, free Sharonda Jones and then help others. And she ended up just, you know, this is like, this is her work now. So uh, if you would like to read it, it's again, really well written. And uh, it is A Knock at Midnight, A Story of Hope, Justice and Freedom by Brittany K. Barnett. Fascinating. That one sounds really good, too. Before we move on into our next segment, we wanted to just mention a couple of books that we talked about in our Fall Not Fiction preview episode a few episodes ago that are now out and you can get. So uh, one that I was really jazzed about is Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. Uh, the second one is Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America by Maria Inohisa. Oh, and my uh, my other sort of callback to our our fall nonfiction preview is solutions and other problems by ali brosh is coming out i think it's september 22nd so yeah it's gonna be out um i it's so good and i know it's massive but people who like ali brosh are just gonna be excited that it's massive um again sort of a warning that it does deal with some very heavy issues including death by suicide um it doesn't go very into them but just you know oh and a lot about depression but ali brosh is amazing and it's well worth getting i cannot wait all right so uh, our second sponsor for this week's episode is standoff from henry holton company uh so this book is from an award-winning journalist jamie thompson and standoff offers a nuanced look at race and policing in the united states so uh the book takes place on the evening of july 7th 2016 when protesters gathered across the united states after police shot two black men philando castile and alton sterling Lando Castile was in Minnesota, so that one is particularly important to me. So uh, as officers patrolled a march in Dallas, a man carrying a rifle killed five officers and wounded 11 others. Uh, a small group of cops cornered the shooter, where a fierce gun battle was followed by a stalemate. In the book, crisis negotiator Larry Gordon bonded with the gunman, while his colleagues devised an unprecedented plan to bring the night to a dramatic end. So standoff is Jamie Thompson's gripping account of a deadly night in Dallas, told through the eyes of those at the center of the events. Uh, who offer a nuanced look at race and policing in America. So that is Standoff from Henry Holton Company, and we thank them for sponsoring. All right, so uh, our theme for this week's episode, since we are on the cusp of Alice's wedding, uh, we thought it would be fun to talk about books related to The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, the reality TV franchise, which is something that I don't watch a lot, but Alice, you are a big fan of the show. I watch all of it. <laughs> Tell me what you love about it. There are three iterations. Well, four if you count like the Winter Games, but I actually don't watch the Winter Games, so I take that back. But um, there is Bachelor, which is the original. Bachelorette was the spinoff with Trista Sutter as the first Bachelorette. And then Bachelor in Paradise, which is my absolute favorite, which is where they just dump them <laughs> on an island and everyone goes nuts. <laughs> I just love it. What? Why do I like it? It's 
Oh, so I ignored it for a long time because I was like, this is anti-feminist. This is terrible. I'm not wasting my time on this garbage. And then I forget how I started watching Bachelor. It was during Chris Souls' season. He was the farmer who uh, has gotten into some legal trouble. He lives in Iowa. But I just got really into it because that's what reality TV does. They're very good at like sucking you into a story mm-hmm. and making you care. And I don't even try to justify it from a feminist point of view. It's not. Like it's <laughs> it's not like pro-women really. But it's something that I feel like increasingly people are feeling okay about saying they watch and that they like. And a, a surprising grouping of people i feel like it almost transcends demographics almost not quite but there's people who i would not expect to be like jimmy kimmel loves the bachelor and i was like oh okay it's i think a part of it and one of the reasons that i think the bachelor is more popular is that women interacting with each other tends to be more interesting i think than on bachelorette with a bunch of dudes interacting with each other because a lot of the time the dudes are so like overly broed out <laughs> and like trying to just st- like be like i'm like i'm the alpha here and it's really gross <laughs> and as opposed to batch on the bachelor you frequently see a lot of the women become really close friends because the time they spend with the bachelor like every week is so small mm-hmm. compared to like they're in this house they can't have their phone they're just talking all the time and sure, some of them fight, but like a lot of them are like bridesmaids in each other's weddings, just to bring it back to weddings and just become lifelong friends. And I just, I just really like it. Well, that's amazing. Okay. So those who watched Colton Underwood's uh, season, which was really recent, it was the one before this last one, know that he ended up dating Cassie Randolph, who was like the girl that he jumped the fence for. And it was supposed to be very cute. I was going to talk about his book on here and then. I found out that Cassie has filed a restraining order against Colton. They broke up um, a few months ago because allegedly he placed tracking devices on her car, (sighs) was like stalking her outside her home and was sending her harassing texts. And the restraining order was granted. I think they're having like a court, but it's like basically a pending situation. This was announced on September 11th. But I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, like I am not promoting his Mm -hmm. book. (laughs) I <laughs> just like it. So that's that's the current Bachelor news. Aside from all of the nuts things happening with the, the next season of Bachelorette, which if you look it up, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> there's a lot going on. Oh boy. I almost want to like, I'm going to investigate that even though I probably won't watch it. Uh, so yeah, so for this week's episode, we're going to talk about books related to the Bachelor universe in some way or another. So um, the first book that I want to talk about, which I picked because I really did genuinely think that I would like it, uh, but I actually didn't at all. <laughs> it's not okay. Turning Heartbreak into Happily Ever After by Andy Dorfman. Uh, the book came out in 2016. Andy Dorfman was on the 18th season of The Bachelor. Uh, where she walked out on The Bachelor in episode nine, which is, I think, right before the last episode. Um, she basically was like, yeah, no, not this guy and left, uh, which I, I respect that. And then sort of because of that, and because people liked her, she was the star of the 10th season of The Bachelorette, where uh, she got engaged and then had this spectacularly horrible breakup with the dude that she chose. Uh, like nine months after the show ended and it was a really big deal and they had to like put out a publicity statement and all of that because they had like gotten engaged on national television and all of that. And so the book opens right after the breakup 
And she frames the whole thing as sort of a diary of her recovery from it. So like each chapter is like day one, day five. And she talks about what's going on with her breakup from this thing. So kind of in between her, like talking through how she's recovering from this terrible breakup, she has stories from her time on both of the different shows. There's some this like self-help advice about trying to like get over breakups. Um, she's like, I can, I'm an expert in it because I broke up with so many people over reality TV. So she's giving advice about breakups. And so like, I wanted to like this one because I like appreciated kind of the story of what she did on the show. Um, she is an attorney. So I thought that would kind of, that's a different perspective for the show, I think, than some of other contestants. And I, her Instagram made me laugh when I was poking around at it. But this book, it just bugged me so much. So <laughs> real quick, my issues. It feels to me like she wants to kind of have her cake and eat it too. Like she wants to show herself as being too cool to participate in like the whole charade of like finding love on television. But then also she did it and was really good at it and did it multiple times. So like own what you're doing rather than trying to like pretend that you're too cool to have done it. And then I thought the self-help part of the book was actually just like not particularly insightful or helpful. Um, she talks a lot of, and this might just be like an unfair perspective because she wrote this book in like 2016 and the world in 2020 is just like so vastly different. But she talks about like breaking up being just like literally the worst experience of your entire life. And like, there's nothing more awful than going through a traumatic breakup. And I was like, oh, friend, <laughs> you don't even know. I just felt like she was sort of, it was it's not, she didn't have good perspective on herself and her situation. And so like, I really liked the sections where she like talked about the drama of being on these reality shows and like walked through her seasons and like what she was thinking and some of the like, she's pretty frank and like insulting a little bit about the people that she rejected in some ways. And I thought those parts were like interesting because I like how things work. But just in general, I was like, oh, I, this book probably was better in 2016. And it didn't age super well for 2020. So if you like The Bachelor, I think you might find a lot in, to like in this book. But I, I, I just didn't really. So that's It's Not Okay, Turning Heartbreak into Happily Never After by Andy Dorfman. Yeah, and I wasn't watching during her season, but I just looked her up and she has definitely made some questionable life choices. But for those who are like, oh, I vaguely remember Andy Dorfman's name. She was on Juan Pablo's season, which is a notoriously bad season mm -hmm. because he was awful. That's the guy she walked out on. Yeah. Yeah. And then Josh Murray, who then later got involved in uh, Bachelor in Paradise with Amanda Stanton, and he is awful as well. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it, despite like, you know, her, her personal choices, I'm, I'm glad that at least in this regard, she's gotten out of mm -hmm. bad relationships. Yeah. And she's written other books after this one. And I kind of wonder if maybe those I would have liked potentially better, but I wanted to like be in the, I wanted the bachelor, bachelorette gossipy stuff. So, but like that. And so that part I liked, but the self-helpy part, I was kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and in that vein, uh, my first pick is I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends, Confessions of a Reality Show Villain by Courtney Robertson. Courtney, again, was not on a season I had seen. A lot of the, I think it's interesting, a lot of the Bachelor books were written a number of years ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And there haven't been a ton of like, again, Colton's is kind of one of the only newer ones that I know of. But Courtney Robertson was famous for being a villain and winning her season. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I like can't even say it because it's just like, really? And you know, sometimes it's all about like, oh, it's it's the edit. Um, She won in, I think, 2012. But she seems genuinely like not a great person based on her book. But it is it is like a fun book because you can tell from the title. It's 
very obviously ghost written. I would say like sometimes, you know, you, you're kind of like, oh, I bet someone helped them out. But like this whole book <laughs> feels very like someone else wrote this and she like talked to them. But the author is like pretty good. I, I think that she retained at least some of Courtney's original voice because there are things like Courtney says in a confessional. I did say, I hope I'm a sight for sore eyes because after the date with Elise, his eyes are pretty sore. And then right after that, she says, I actually liked Elise a lot. <laughs> she- I'm sorry, I can't. She was one of the few who wasn't that mean to me. And it's like, why are you being this way? <laughs> so anyway. It feels like she spends most of the book trying to convince people she's actually really nice, but then she says stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where I feel like someone with more (laughs) self-awareness would be able to, like, not do that kind of weird uh, doublespeak almost. In in more sort of, like, serious, I would say, human terms, she says things like, uh, I was so lonely when I first moved to L.A. that I'd wander around the Grove Mall by myself and bump up against strangers just to have human contact. And I remember when I first moved to Chicago, sometimes a stranger would bump into me on the L and I would be like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> so um, I, I get it. Like that, I felt like that was relatable. Yeah, that was just like a, a moment of, of humanity for Courtney Robertson. She mostly talks about her relationship with Ben. I think his name is Fle- It's either Flagnick or Flanick. I don't know if the J is silent. But um, she mostly talks about that, and they seem to be awful for each other, and both just, like, not great people. But (laughs) I know I'm making it sound like, woo, I did enjoy the book. Like, I because, again, she does set it up as, like, I was the villain, so you kind of expect her not to be great Mm -hmm. as a person. And so she talks about the show and what it was like being on it, and then, like, post the show and then leading up to her breakup with Ben. And yeah, I think it's probably, I would recommend it the most of the Bachelor books written by Bachelor contestants, or ghost written, as the case <laughs> may be, uh, by Deb Bear, by the way. Uh, so again, that is I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends, Confessions of a Reality Show Villain by Courtney Robertson. That one does sound kind of fun. I think I think you have to read these going in expecting that like they don't have a like a huge level of self-awareness. Like I don't I don't know if you could be a person who competes on a reality TV show trying to find like true love in air quotes if you're very aware of yourself, you know what I mean? Well, now I think they do now. That's uh, that's a whole other talk because now because of Instagram, mm-hmm. people are like, "Oh, I can get on and like promote my brand." Mm-hmm. Because people gain so many followers when they're on the show regardless of, you know, whether they yeah. win. But I think initially when people were like, oh, I'll like, yeah, I'll go on TV to find love. Then, yeah, I think these early years, it seemed a little less that way. Yeah, fair enough. So actually a book that kind of gets into that side of the Bachelor thing is a book called Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure by Amy Kaufman. Uh, And so this is a book that uh, calls itself the first definitive unauthorized behind the scenes cultural history of the Bachelor franchise. Uh, That explores basically every aspect of how the show gets made and what has happened to the contestants since their appearance. So I read this one a couple of years ago when it first came out because I love books about how things get made. And so this one is about how The Bachelor gets made. And so that's why I was curious about it. So 
Amy Kaufman is a journalist and she's also a fan of the show. And so through those different things, she has the chance to interview producers, contestants, celebrity fans of the the franchise um, and kind of walks through the making of the show, not in a huge amount of detail, but enough that I was I was satisfied by that. Um, and then eventually gets into like post-show life for contestants. So it talks about like how they go on other reality TV shows like Dancing with the Stars, which is a reality TV show that I love very much. Talks about like sponsorships and Instagram and some of that influencer stuff and how that has kind of changed over time. So this is just like a quick light read. I remember just kind of flying through it in a few days. I don't know that her like final conclusions about the show were especially like novel or really like made me think about the show in a different way than I kind of already did. But I thought it was a solid book and I really did like the kind of behind the scenes, how things get made parts of it. Um, so I recommend this one, although you, I think you've read this one and didn't like it quite as much as I did. I started it and I wanted, I realized I wanted it to be like a very in-depth nonfiction backstage look at The Bachelor and how it is made. And it's it's a little more like, not BuzzFeed, but you know, like kind of just more of like a chatty writing style, yeah. I think, which I wasn't mentally prepped for. Yeah, I do think it would be very fascinating if there was a, a like a book that was a journalist or somebody behind the scenes, just like writing a book about the behind the scenes of one season of the show. Like that to me would be really fascinating. Yes. Someone just give them the okay to do mm-hmm. that. I know that they have to sign a bunch of like non-disclosure things, but why? <laughs> I want to know. Yes, me too. Me too. So my last pick is Happily Ever After, The Life-Changing Power of a Grateful Heart by Trista Sutter. Most of the Bachelor books, again, by Bachelor contestants, uh, sort of similar to what Kim was talking about with Andy Dorfman, seem a little like self-helpy or like here are some positive thoughts for your day and not to knock those kinds of books and I think but like uh Trista Sutter I did not watch her season again (laughs) because she was the first bachelorette Mm -hmm. so that was quite some time ago um she ended up uh I believe having her heart broken on the bachelor and they decided she was so likable that they were going to make this new show and they were going to have her as the first person. She uh, was a pediatric physical therapist and also a Miami Heat dancer when she was cast on The Bachelor, which I'm like, that's amazing. (laughs) To like pair those two careers. Mm -hmm. I'm just Mm -hmm. very impressed. So she did it. And then she ended up meeting a firefighter named Ryan Sutter. And then they have like a few kids by now. But um, she decided to, while like, you know, live like in this new marriage and then um, raising her kids, she decided to start this thing of remembering her favorite part of each day. And I picked this book because I just like stuff like that sometimes, you know, when people are like, I'm just, you know, everything's hard right now. And especially obviously right right now. So I'm just going to think about this like one positive thing, like what is like a little thing that was really nice about like this day. And so um, she does it a little bit like she talks about, you know, her her time on The Bachelor, uh, Bachelorette, and her life a little bit, but it's also in that kind of like guide form of just being like, here are some exercises you can do. And it's just if you just are really invested in reading a book by a Bachelor contestant, which why wouldn't you be? But you also are like, I could just really use some positivity right now. I actually think her book is good for that. Again, that is Happily Ever After, The Life-Changing Power of a Grateful Heart by Trista Sutter. Very nice. I think she, if I remember right, looking at the dates, I th- I think that she wrote this one actually 
pretty far after she was done with the show. So it's not like it was part of the like, get off the show, do a book, like make a bunch of money really fast kind of thing. Well, that makes sense. I didn't look at the date. That makes sense because she had two kids. Yeah. So <laughs> that was not an immediate situation. But yeah, and she just, I don't know, she seems nice. She did. Yes. I feel like I watched some of her season back in the day. Uh, she did seem nice. Or at least I like saw her in People Magazine and like read the articles about it. That's probably more likely actually what happened. So nice pick. This came out in 2013, which is, uh, I think, around the same time as Courtney Robertson's books. Maybe that was just the, the year, year of Bachelor, bachelor contestant <laughs> books. Funny. Um, so before we wrap things up, I also just wanted to mention, like, or acknowledge that the world of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is extremely white. I think they've had, like, one bachelorette who is a person of color and very few contestants. So the world of Bachelor books is even more white than the show. So I wanted to just mention a couple of books by people of color that are about television or related to television uh, to kind of round out uh, this segment. So uh, the first one I wanted to mention is The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl by Issa Rae, uh, which is a memoir uh, by a comedian, and it sort of inspired her show on HBO Insecure. And so um, this is a book that is about being an introvert in a world that glorifies cool and kind of some fun stories about that dating millennial expectations, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I'm probably going to bring that one with me on my vacation because I checked it out from the library and it looks fun. And then the second one I wanted to mention is, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me and Other Concerns by Mindy Kaling? Uh, she was an actress and writer on The Office. And so this is kind of a collection of essays about growing up and being an Indian person. And uh, there's a few essays in there about her time on The Office working in a writer's room. And I think it's a really fun collection of essays. So two other television-related books to mention in this segment. Those are good picks. Yeah, I'm excited about the Issa Rae book. I'm definitely bringing that with me. So, all right, we will wrap up this week's episode as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading right now at this very moment. Um, I'm actually in a little bit of a reading slump, so I'm just going to mention one that I'm bringing with me on my vacation. Uh, we're going to a cabin, so I anticipate lots of reading. And that book is Yellow Bird, Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country by Sierra Crane Murdoch. Uh, this is a book about a Native woman, Lisa Yellow Bird, who is released from prison and then starts to investigate the disappearance of a white oil worker named Christopher Casey Clark in the Bakken area. And I don't really know much more about it than that. I think you talked about it on an episode back in the day when it first came out, but uh, I like a good true crimey story. So that's one of the books I'm bringing with. Oh, and the Bakken area is uh, what figures a lot in the uh, uh, Carrie mm -hmm. from new releases. That's interesting. Full circle. Full circle indeed. Um, I actually just finished I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. It's coming out um, later, a little later this fall. And it was really good. She talks a lot about, you know, getting diagnosed and like her, her sort of work with some like mental illness she'd been experiencing and her childhood and like, th and then also how Crazy Ex-Girlfriend came to be. So I've been watching a lot of episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend <laughs> and it was just, it was basically what I wanted it to be. You know what I mean? Like it was a book where I was like, this is funny. This is emotional. Um, Rachel Bloom is an incredibly talented person. So I want to be where the normal people are by Rachel Bloom. And with that, you can find us on social media, otherwise known as Meads. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And our amazing audio editing done this episode and all by Jensink. Yes. And if you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. 
that helps people find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can subscribe so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. <laughs>